0: Listening to Dr. Rob White with the AULC Ministries. Scan the QR code to visit our website at aulc.us and find us on Roku, Amazon Fire TV and Talkshow. The following presentation is from a new series from Dr. Rob White called Blast from the Past. In this series, Dr. Rob will feature past sermons that were recorded live. We hope you enjoy this new series.
1: <coughs> Let's open our sermon with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come today opening your word. We want to hear your voice. We want to hear and see what you have to tell us and to show us just how relevant your word is today. We just ask, Lord, as we get into your word that we open our ears and our hearts and our eyes and our minds to what you have to tell us because every time we open it, we find something new. We find something different. We know that you're not giving us all the answers, but that a little at a time, we're getting our questions answered. And one day, we'll finally get that final answer when we get up to heaven with you. We just ask that you be with us today as we open your word. Allow us to, as your scriptures say, those with ears hear. We ask this in your son Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Our lesson comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 9 to 15. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized in the Jordan by John. As soon as he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending to him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. Immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness He was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels began to serve him. After John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee preaching the good news of God. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. May the Lord add his blessing on the reading of his word. Now sometimes when we go through... Our lives today, we're asked to prove who we are. We've got to do something to show that we are who we are. In these days of identity theft, it's hard to imagine, but someone can steal your identity and then you have to prove, no, I'm that person. They aren't. Sometimes when you enroll in a class or you go to the doctor's office or you go to the license branch and maybe you're just renewing your license and it's got your picture on it and it's got your name and your address, they still say, we need proof who you are. We need you to bring in a birth certificate, a social security card, a piece of mail that has your address on it. We need you to prove you are you. Now, one sure way of proving that we are who we are is through fingerprints. Everyone's fingerprints are different. There's seven billion people in this world and we have seven billion different sets of fingerprints. No two are alike, just like no two snowflakes are alike. These fingerprints form such a unique pattern that once they're recorded, you can prove them instantly who you are. Identity theft can't take that away from you. Now, there are never, or there's never been a case ever reported where two people in this world has ever shown the same sets of fingerprints. Now, if that doesn't show the existence of God and prove that, nothing does. No one can do that. No man can do that. At the time Jesus lived on this earth, He was identified in a very powerful way. Now, they didn't have the internet. They didn't have DNA and and instant messaging and email and newspapers and all that. When Jesus would go from place to place, he would be recognized by his personality, his identity. But when he went to be baptized in the Jordan, God gave him the best Fingerprint, the best identity ever by saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And a dove descended on him. And you don't get any more proof than that. So Jesus, everywhere he went, he would be identified by his works, his miracles, his deeds that he was doing. That was something that would identify him. But most of all, he was identified by, By God as being God's Son. Our fingerprints may identify who we are, but our faith, our belief in Jesus as the Son of God identifies us as a Christian. And that is why Jesus comes and says, Believe in the good news. Now, Mark covers a great deal of territory in just a few verses that I've read this morning because. Now we've been we've dealt with this same scenario in, with Jesus being tempted and baptized and all this the last few weeks through Luke. Mark tells it a little differently, and he kind of gives us the reader's digest version of everything. He pulls together not only Jesus' baptism, but then follows straight through his to temptation and then his announcement that the coming of his kingdom is near. And then he calls for repentance and belief. Now, Mark uses some strong jolting language here when you read this in the Greek because he says the heavens are parting, meaning ripped open, and the spirit drove Jesus out into the wilderness to where he'd be tempted, immediately following his baptism. Now, Luke, Luke kind of gives us the day by day and everything that happened. But Mark, he's just boom, 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 boom. He's just going through and giving it to us. He's telling us that he was not only tempted by Satan, but that he was dwelling with wild animals and he was attended by the angels. And then he starts preaching to repent and believe in the good news. Now in the Exodus, the Israelites passed through the waters of the Red Sea quite easily by any... Way, shape, and form because Moses, through God, parted the water so they could walk on dry land. Walking on dry land was similar to walking in the desert because there is no water. There's no moisture out in the desert. And then Jesus passing through the Jordan and going straight to his temptation into the the wilderness, into the desert. We can think of that as he comes out, he's still all wet, and he goes straight out and to be uh, tempted by the the devil and he dries off in the dry air. You can almost feel you know what it's like when you climb out of a swimming pool or out of a hot bath and all of a sudden that cool air hits you. It's not really cool it's still 70 degrees or whatever but it feels cold. That's what Jesus would have felt. Now there's an important difference between this experience of the ancient Israelites and, and than Jesus here, because the Israelites, they very often failed the test that they were given by God. Jesus, on the other hand, he's not going to fail his test. Now, this was a dramatic beginning for Jesus' ministry here, because he came to Nazareth for the simple fact to be baptized in the Jordan, and then the Spirit descends on him like a dove, and then you hear the father's voice saying, this is my son in which I'm well pleased. And that's a wonderful affirmation right there. That's a wonderful way of a father identifying who his child is. And there can't be any better thing that a father can say about a son. But then immediately, Mark says, immediately the spirit of God drove Jesus out into the wilderness. He was out there for 40 days living among the wild animals. And while he was there, Satan tempted him. And then angels attended to him. They waited on him. Then having been baptized, he's been affirmed by God. He's passed that test. He begins to preach. And Mark tells us what he preached. Listen to his sermon here. And in verse 15 of our scripture today. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the good news. It's a very short sermon. I'll bet you wish sometimes my sermons was that short, don't you? It was a short sermon, but Jesus packed a lot into that couple of sentences there. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus was saying there was a new new age coming upon everyone. God's kingdom was about to break out in glory. It was about to break out in power. And it was time for the people to prepare for its coming. It was a time for them to become a new people. And Jesus goes on to say, repent and believe in the good news. That's what we need to do to make ready for the kingdom of God. The kingdom might come, but unless we're prepared for it, its coming will have no effect on our lives. We probably won't even know it's here. Jesus called us to prepare ourselves for the kingdom of God when he says, repent and believe in the good news. What he's saying is the kingdom is ours for the taking, but we have to take that step and we have to enter it. The gift is free, but we have to be able to receive it. A gift's no good if you give it to someone and they don't take it, is it? This is the same with God's kingdom. We have to be there when the Spirit calls us. The Spirit will offer us change, and the Spirit offers to make us new people. And when Jesus says, repent and believe in the good news, he's saying repentance is all about change. Repentance involves turning around, going in a different direction. Repentance means a change from the rule of self to the rule of God. Now our natural inclination, Just human nature is to seek fulfillment of our own desires. We want exactly what we want, exactly when we want it. Sometimes we'll throw an angry fit if we don't get what we want when we want it. Sometimes we want new clothes and new cars and new houses. We want to have fun and adventure. We want promotions and recognition. We're in a hurry. We're in an immediate society now, an instant on society. We don't want to wait. I don't want to wait a minute to put my coffee in the microwave to heat it up. That's too long. I want my coffee. But we want it now. Christ says, don't be anxious, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we be clothed? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Matthew 6 tells us that. Christ calls us to repent, to turn and go in a new direction, to change from an old person to a new person, to see the world with different eyes, to see it in a different perspective, to see it through God's eyes. Christ calls us to care less about things and to care more for God. Christ calls us to care less about ourselves And to care more about others and that's what repentance means it's a change of mind it's a change of heart it's also a change of direction it means opening ourselves to the possibility of Christ making us a new person Christ came calling sinners to repentance and we can affirm that it was good of Christ to be concerned about the sinners most of us we don't want anything to do with sinners But Christ, he loved the sinners. He loved the down and outers. Christ did a great many things with sinners. Billy Graham once said, the men who followed Christ turned the world upside down because their hearts have been turned right side up. And so they did. But what about us? What about those of us who already believe? What about the pastors and the elders and the deacons and the choir members and the Sunday school teachers and the youth group leaders? Does Christ also call for all of us to change? Well, we already did that, didn't we? Well, we can find that answer by thinking about the religious people of Jesus' day. It's ironic that when we hear the phrase, scribes and Pharisees, the first thing we think of is they're bad people. The scribes and Pharisees were not bad people in Jesus' time. They were good people. They were the religious people. They were the pastors and the elders and the deacons and the choir members and Scundi school teachers and the youth group leaders. They were the best of the best, but they knew that. In their minds, they knew that nobody was better than them. And knowing that they were good, they also knew they couldn't repent. They couldn't change and they weren't open to change. They didn't believe that they needed the great physician to heal them. And so they became enemies of Christ. They became Christ's enemies because Christ called for them to repent, to change, to become new people. And they resented having to do that. It's precisely those who think that they don't need any repentance. And those are the ones that desperately need it the most. So Jesus calls for the pastors and the elders and the deacons and the choir members and all to repent and believe in the good news. That's not an easy word for us to hear. As Christians, we're tempted to believe that we don't need to repent. We've already done everything we need to do. We don't need to change. We're doing fine. We don't have to ask for forgiveness because Christ has already forgiven us. And we resent any kind of serious call for repentance. A man came home one day and saw a plaque hanging on the kitchen wall. It had just been placed there, obviously by his wonderful wife, and it simply read, Prayer Changes Things. Next day, the wife noticed the plaque had been removed off of the wall. She confronted her husband. She says, what's wrong? Don't you like prayer? He says, well, of course I like prayer. I just don't like change. I read about a woman in a congregation who confronted her pastor one Sunday morning. She was divorced and the gospel lesson that she had to read that morning, it was her turn to read the scriptures that morning, had to do with Jesus' words on divorce. And she became furious because she had to read that scripture. And in a way, she was right. She was a divorced woman and she took offense to what Jesus was saying about divorce. But the pastor said, you signed up for this Sunday. Yes, it's probably bad of me. I should have realized that, you know, you were divorced and this is about divorce. I didn't realize it would affect you this way. But the woman had signed up to read the scriptures. But reading this and looking at it, I realized that sometimes the scriptures can be offensive to us. Not on just the subject of divorce, but on anything. But does that mean that we're not supposed to read those kinds of scriptures on Sunday morning during worship service? No, perhaps the most offensive scriptures that we need to hear is the ones we need to hear because they are offensive or we feel offense. Jesus says, repent, believe in the good news. When greeting people at the door on Sunday morning, preachers often hear, well, that was a good sermon. Sometimes people are just being polite. Sometimes they don't know what else to say and they think this is what they should say. Sometimes they feel that they're expected to compliment the preacher, whether it was good, bad, or ugly. And sometimes it really was a good sermon or at least a sermon that the Holy Spirit used to touch their hearts. Not often, but occasionally someone will say, that was a terrible sermon. I've heard that a couple of times. But they leave the church in an angry huff because when that happens, you know they're not just making polite conversation. They were offended by something that was said in the sermon. Sometimes they're right. I was preaching over at Ben Hur Nursing Home one day and uh, I did a, a sermon on tithing. And the whole point of my sermon was you can tithe without Giving money. You can tithe in other ways by serving God in the church, working in a soup kitchen, or just you know talking to your friends. There's ways, other ways of tithing. At the end of the sermon, elderly woman come up to me and she says, I didn't like your sermon. You're preaching money. You're in the wrong place to preach money. I'm going, well, you didn't listen to the whole sermon then, did you? While he was preaching on tithing, yeah, tithing's not just money. And she still went away in a huff because all she did was done this and looked at tithing as money and that she didn't hear the rest of the sermon. Sometimes things like that can just pierce a pastor's heart because he's not getting through to somebody and they really needed to hear it. Sometimes the criticism is probably the most authentic thing a pastor hears on Sunday morning. A word from an angry parishioner might be God speaking through that person, telling that pastor, you need to change. You need to step it up a little bit or you need to tone it down a little bit. Preachers have to listen for God through other people sometimes and through the word of God. We've got to be ready to repent, to change, but to learn and to prepare more effectively. There's also another possibility. The possibility is that the preacher proclaimed the word of God authentically and struck that person right in the heart and they didn't like it because they don't like change or they don't want to change. And it might be that later on that person becomes a little more comforted by realizing exactly what the Holy Spirit was telling them. The Word of God comforts the afflicted. The Word of God also afflicts the comfortable. And sometimes the Word of God afflicts even those who are just trying to get comfortable. The Word of God calls us to repentance, to change, to turn in a new direction, to become a new person. And that's not easy. We don't want to hear it, but Christ tells us repent and believe in the good news. Repentance is usually painful, but there's good news associated with it. Good news is that when we repent, we turn our lives over to Christ, he brings out the beauty in us that we never knew was there. As people, we don't like to change. I once was a member of a church that... Every time they bring in a new pastor, the new pastor would try to change the worship service or the order of worship or whatever and make it to the way he thought the service should go. And everyone would rebel. They didn't like change. And so they make him put it back. And they said, we've done this for 60 years this way. We're not going to change now. And the church still is the same today, I imagine if I would go there the same way everything's been done for 60 more years. They don't like change. I'm reminded of Luther Burbank. He was a great horticulturalist. Burbank became famous because of his work with plants. He paid careful attention to the characteristics of a different variety of plants and of their strengths and of their weaknesses. He painstakingly drew new varieties or bred new varieties and combined the best qualities of each of these plants. And then he developed hundreds of new plant varieties and he helped to feed the world. You could say that Luther Burbank kept thousands of people, maybe millions of people from starvation. On one occasion, someone asked him what he considered to be his greatest contribution He thought for a moment and he said, If I have made any worthy contribution to the world, it's the advancement and proof of the great principle in botany that a plant born a weed or a plant degenerated by the conditions of nature does not have to remain a degenerate. I have enunciated the principle that there is no plant so great an outcast that it cannot with skill and care be redeemed. Kind of sounds like us, doesn't it? When I read that story, I could not help to think of Jesus. If there's any one thing that Jesus proved when he was on this earth and he's still proving today that there's no one person who cannot be redeemed. There's no one person that is so bad, no person so good that Christ cannot make a wonderful difference in his or her life. We are neither so bad as to be hopeless or so good to be beyond improvement It's not our badness or our goodness that counts, but our willingness to place ourselves in Christ's life, in his hands. And so Jesus tells us today, repent and believe in the good news. Let us repent and believe and put ourselves in Christ's hands. And when we do that, we find that the news is very good indeed. That's our Lord's message for this Lord's day. I hope that you found a blessing in it. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your words today. Words that some of us may need to hear. Some of us that don't wanna hear it because we don't want change. But indeed, we need to do what Christ directs us to do. And if that's to change, maybe we're going in the wrong direction and we just don't realize it. So we thank you, Lord, for your words today. We thank you for guiding our lives for being in our lives. And we just ask that as we leave today and we go back to our homes or we go out to eat, whatever our day consumes of from today, from this matter on, that you just be with us, Lord. Put a hedge of protection around us and just continue to heal us and be with us. Bless us and keep us. We ask this in your son Jesus' precious name. Go out this week. Be a blessing and be blessed because the more you're a blessing, the more you will be blessed. Thank you all for coming. We'll see you all next Sunday. Thank you. You betcha.
0: Thank you for watching and listening to Dr. Rob White with the AULC Ministries. Athens Universal Life Church is a not-for-profit 501c3 organization. This production is an AULC Studios video production, copyright 2012-2023, all rights reserved. 18 plus.